Hey, Ken, pass me my AS400. It's the one that says bad mother. <laughs> well, that's like uh, some of the guys I work with. I said, you know, first code I ever wrote was on punch cards, and they didn't have a clue as to what a punch card was. Welcome to the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. We are here to talk about the practical side of operations work. This week, we're talking, talking about getting started in this career with a special guest, Evan Bloom. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, service reliability engineering, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. Jumpstart your SRE journey today with the experts at 42lines.net. Greetings, Evan. How's it going? So, Evan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and why you have decided to enter this field? Yeah. Um, so, I am a musician by trade, and I've spent the last several years kind of being a uh, touring sideman. And the COVID thing has more or less destroyed the industry for traveling musicians. So, that combined with a couple of other personal things, I've got a kid on the way and looking for a career that's going to be that's stable that doesn't require being physically in any specific location um and able to just kind of work remote that's a good place to be and full disclosure i've known evan for the better part of 20 years if not more at this point so i yeah evan reached out to me a couple months ago and was asking about what does it take to get started in this field in this field being kind of linux administration broadly but more specifically into the kind of work that we talk about on this podcast and I know you fairly well, and I know that you you have a, a bent for problem solving and kind of taking problems apart piece by piece. And I figured that you would have a pretty good understanding of it if you put some time into it. So I pointed you at a couple of online resources, but you had found some of your own. What Where did you start kind of looking around at, at resources and stuff? Coming into this, I knew essentially nothing other than that Linux was an an operating system. Um, so I started with the Linux 101 course on edX and um, honestly was not terribly enamored with that. Uh, worked through maybe half of it and it's really should be more of like a 102 uh, kind of thing. Like it assumes a lot of knowledge that coming in and, and having zero kind of computer administration experience didn't do real well with me. Um, so from there, I went to the Reddit, um, the Upskill Challenge, which was very, very nicely paced. Um, I, I'm much happier with, with the way that course was set up. And so set up a uh, uh, an AWS little server instance so i had my own little fiefdom in a warehouse somewhere in ohio and played with it and turned it on turned it off and installed things and since then i've done a little bit of the learn python the hard way stuff for python 2 um maybe i don't know eight or nine lessons into that awesome that's a that's a fairly reasonable place to start what uh what would be your recommendations for other newcomers? Would you say suggest the the Reddit uh, subreddit to get started, or what are some other 
good resources for someone following down the same path. Coming into it, the that Reddit, the upskill challenge, really that that Reddit course really probably did did more for me than any of the other stuff that I've done, and that includes watching a lot of YouTube videos and reading through some books and and um, a lot of googling because it was hands on and paced where each day you had specific tasks that you had to do that weren't overwhelming but each day led into what you were going to work on the next day so you built the skills in kind of a a, a logical linear progression whereas the edX course kind of jumped around and and made the assumptions that you understood what you were doing um and and was not nearly as well paced yeah one of the hardest things about this for me to think about is i started in this career really i mean really the end of high school but it was during college when i was kind of tinkering about with linux and apple had just released os 10 and so i was kind of digging into oh this is what it's like to have a linux or a unix workstation on my desk at all times and i don't even know in some ways what i've picked up over the years that is helpful versus what's kind of useless and you know just sort of stuck in my brain that i would encourage people not to learn so it's interesting to to try to think about this in the sense of somebody who's coming to it who's smart but definitely has no baggage of you know the way things used to be i know that's part of my challenge in in working with folks and mentoring folks is i picked up a lot of computer stuff you know from a Commodore 64 or an Apple IIe, uh, an 8086, uh, back when computers were much simpler than they are today and sort of easy to understand and reason about and write some simple, you know, basic programs about. Um, and today, you know, you're looking at doing JavaScript and TypeScript in a browser and a lot of, of entry-level programming stuff, and that is multiple layers removed from you know how the computer actually works under the hood what what ram is doing what the cpu is doing what your outputs are doing and sort of wrapping my head around how to get started in in today's era versus versus 30 years ago um i find really challenging the industry has changed so much too though i mean i i started even before anybody else here and you know, there was no internet and there was none of that stuff. And, and building up on, you know, cutting my teeth on proprietary Unixes on big metal, it has changed so drastically. But I don't, well, knowing that underlying low-level stuff is really, really good, you don't need it as much as you used to, especially, you know, with cloud-based VMs that, you know, you're so far removed from the hardware, some of that stuff doesn't work. I, I if, you know, for Evan getting started, you know, I, I've always learned better by picking a project and, and, you know, digging my teeth into doing something that will benefit myself in some way. You know, we we're talking before the show, you know, set up a caching DNS server in that on a, on a machine in your house that you then can use. Um, don't use your router's DHCP, set it up yourself. The stuff you'll learn doing that about how everything works is invaluable. Even if you don't use it yourself and don't set up one yourself, you know, obviously in the cloud you don't, it will teach you how it works to be able to debug problems. Um, 
and it's just you know one of the, one of the ways I've taught myself stuff is find a project, do it. Yeah, yeah I right. agree. That's been that's been something that you know, friends and family have always asked me, like, how can I do what you're doing? And I, th- I'm I'm the same response. I'm like, well, whenever I was learning this stuff, I was like, I need an email server. Someone set up an email server. I need. DNS, I need this and that. Nowadays, it's a little different. Nowadays, it's more of I want to run probably you, you probably want maybe instead of like a wiki or GitLab or or something like that. But the, the the foundational elements are the same. You're you're solving a problem, and when you have to solve a problem versus just I'm going to learn what Git does today. When it's something you actually have to solve to to solve a problem, then you it I feel like it sticks in your memory better. It it's something that you can draw back upon. Yeah, I have to have something that I need to solve a problem that that relates to me and I can dig in there and dig through and build an build a solution build an example do something useful um I always have trouble with some of the online courses that kind of you know follow you along and with sort of meaningless tasks that don't really that aren't really useful to me yet yeah and in some ways, I would argue that learning about the hardware side of things isn't as helpful these days. I mean, it's it, you need it eventually. But if you're going to start, start with DNS, start with client server applications. And so, Evan, actually, it might be a good idea to grab like a Raspberry Pi or something. Um, there's a project called the Pi Hole, which sets up a DNS black hole to like filter out advertisements from your home network. Um, okay. That might be a good practical thing to do. And Raspberry Pis are not terribly expensive. And it'll force you to get into some of the the networking pieces and some of like the way DNS caching works. Um, there's a there's an old saying on the internet that it's it's always DNS because if DNS is screwed up, everything else very quickly falls apart. Um, and it usually is. It's not that complicated, but it's really easy to screw up, which is unfortunate. Yeah, that's one of the one of the things that's kind of the most challenging for me coming into this. Because so, Evan, what is your you know, you've gotten through the upskills challenge and you're starting to work on the Python stuff. What is the next area that you think is interesting or the next piece of this that you want to tackle? Uh, so one of the, the really challenging things about this is that I don't even know what any of it entails for the most part. Like I, I understand that there are people who are employed who do computer things on the internet. And now I kind of, understand a little bit of you know you're you're essentially acting like a mechanic for the servers that store the data for things that people do um i'm i'm going back through the upskill challenge curriculum again and kind of diving a little deeper into it one of the things that's neat about the way it's set up is that there's a sort of initial level to complete each day and then there's also some kind of further research things that are tied into it so you can go further if you are comfortable or if you have more time etc um you know you touched on the raspberry pi thing i'm i'm learning a little bit about just kind of that world and the arduino stuff and and since i've always been you know a tinkerer in a lot of different areas the the idea of working with hardware is sort of feels good to me if that makes sense oh yeah so like uh, i just found out about like the whole like laura ecosystem and all of the things that can go into that and and 
of course there's the part of me that that wants to be a hacker on some level and, and is kind of looking at what is entailed to go into cybersecurity and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's probably a Pandora's box and more time-consuming than something that I want to get into, realistically. But so yeah, the, just the trick ahead. with security, as far as I can tell, is that it is of all of the the various subspecialties in this field, security is the one that requires you to be constantly on the ball, because right. the threat model is always changing. The things things that go wrong keep on mutating and, and expanding. So you have to stay current all the time. And if you're willing to do that, it pays really well. But if you don't have that desire to really stay on top of it, which not a lot of people do, it's not a great fit. Right. And that's, that's kind of what, what became pretty obvious pretty early on. Cause you know, like I've always been, been sort of a low level hobby lock picker and played around with, that kind of stuff. So, you know, I'm aware of like Deviant Olam and, and that sort of world in that, that, you know, I guess there's like a Venn diagram where those guys sort of overlap with the, the tech security guys. And it's neat, but it is that is that, you know, it's a constant cat and mouse thing. And I don't know that I love it enough to spend, you know, 12 hours a day all the time dealing with it. Actually, that, that brings me to another thing that I want you to, to think about carefully, which is burnout. It happens far too frequently in this industry. And if you start working 12-hour days ever, you need to really stop and consider what's going on. Um, that's a dangerous place to be. If you do it for a little while, spurts here and there, it's fine. But any time that a, an employer is requiring or strongly encouraging more than about 10 hours a day, you need to run. Run, right. run fast. Or yeah. really when there's just too much work to get done, it's it's super important to be able to have those boundaries in place. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things that when I started talking to Brendan about this initially, you know, I was looking at it with a timeline of like, you know, say I've got a year, year and a half to try to spin up to, to even start looking into this stuff. What, you know, what are the skills that I need to try to develop? Because... You know, I I know that I could, like, jump in and do, like, in six months, spin up probably enough to get an entry-level job, but I'm not so interested in that, and I also don't want to to put that kind of stress on the learning process. So being able to work on it for, you know, 45 minutes, hour and a half, every night at the end of the day has been kind of nice. Although I will say that uh, getting an entry-level job that is there to train that 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 where people accept for people who doesn't maybe not have the perfect experience or know everything and are willing to train you that is some invaluable training as well because it's that's again that's real life that's what you have to do you've got to solve problems but those are i feel rarer and rarer to find um i was i was very fortunate to find one one of my very first gigs as a sysadmin it was an entry it was a true entry level position where the the CEO was uh, the the tech guy and uh, really would give me time to learn on the job and wasn't expecting me to know everything from the beginning and it's very rare to find those these days but I and and I guess I really do 
appreciate the uh, the apprentice model. That would be really great to have something like that here, or, or to foster that here in America, because uh, that's really where you you learn a lot, especially under skilled uh, tradesmen that are you know the have twenty thirty years experience. I definitely did not learn the skills I use in in college and in, in my degrees. Yeah, that stuff is super handy, and I, I I fall back on some of the computer science stuff a lot. But the the day to day skills I use in the job are not what I use, but I learn there. Well, I know Jack and I both have computer more classic computer science degrees, and I find the same thing in this area. It's not as helpful because we're not those are were back in the day for training developers, and that's not where we landed. Uh, yeah, my, my first boss had a cartography degree. My second boss was had a biology degree. Third was a chemistry degree. I have a journalism degree. None of these are, none of these overlap into a specific like math or computer science discipline. I don't have an engineering degree. I don't have any of those backgrounds. And for a lot of systems administration work, you don't need it. You need to be able to learn on your feet. You need to be able to pick up, especially things like programming languages, but the the idea that you need a double E or you need a math degree or you need a computer science degree is, especially in this field, is not it's not there. Um, and I also agree that I I see far too few mid level positions. There's a lot of companies either they want to hire, you know, entry level or they want to hire super senior folk. And it's like there's you're missing something there. Um, we need to sh- we need to help shift that culture away from. Um, kind of the current hiring practices because bringing new people on is super important. And it's hard because this uh, career doesn't really have uh, what we're used to, what our parents are used to as far as your career development and that ladder you climb. It's kind of, you know, make up your, make up your position as you go. So that's a long, a long winded way of saying, Evan, I think that digging into a entry level, even like a part-time entry level job, um, just in terms of picking up some, experience from other people with the patterns of how people in this field work together might be good um depending on availability and remoteness because the pandemic has of course changed everything for everybody but it might be a good place to to kind of dig in once you feel like you're comfortable enough to you know bs a little bit into it now describe what you guys think of as entry level Ooh, good question so it's gonna be it's yeah it, it's so mine was a mixture. So my very, very first position that wasn't sysadmin related was help desk, essentially. Um, and that's been a classical first step, which is there, there's tons of jokes about it. And yes, it is horrible. I don't know if there's still a ton of printer issues that you're going to deal with, but that's the bane of your existence. But generally speaking, the help desk has been usually stop number one or, or the entry level position. The only negative is, is that Generally speaking, in a lot of places, at least in my experience, there is no next step. You're 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 at help desk, and that's it. Sometimes in larger companies, you can progress to systems engineer or network engineer or something like that. But generally speaking, by and large, you're most likely going to be working for MSP, uh, which stands for managed service provider. Uh, and generally, you do not have a lot of uh, mobility there. So is well, I. I take issue with some of that. The 
the help desk positions is where a lot of people start and they transition either into kind of managing help desk positions, like managing call centers and managing those kinds of things. Or as you work with the layer two and the layer three support move, people notice that like, Oh, well these texts are actually really good. We're going to give them yeah. some more so they can, they can answer the higher level questions and stop just sort of picking up the phone for printer problems, for example. And if you have the desire, it's, there is a chain to move up there. Um, and I think on the couple of Linux subreddits, people talk about making the jump out of doing just like help desk work into going into more of a traditional administration role. So that is still a valid path. It's finding an organization that's large enough and has the structure where you can do it. That, that's more my point is I'm not saying that that's not the path. I, I do think that's still a valid path. I'm just meaning when you go from help desk to the next step, it's most likely going to be at another company. It won't be at the same company. Okay. Like, so is, is working a help desk really kind of just one of those, you have to do it and you have to pay your dues and put in your time to be able to get to any of the other positions? Or is it realistic to be able to develop skills on your own to a point where you can get to like a junior admin or some kind of thing? I don't think help desk is required. Um, No, I think you do either. But if you're looking for just sort of context especially if you can do it part-time like if you can do it like working from home part-time kind of thing it might be a good way to pick up some context about um the linux side of the industry in terms of helping folks with, with issues but it is not required and of course you'll get paid it won't be get won't be like crazy well but you know it's money and money is always a good thing and that's one of the things i was going to say to you is if you you know if you can financially withstand it, finding an internship. Right. I don't know how easy that internship is. Internship shouldn't be free. They shouldn't be, but a lot are, or <laughs> the pay is pathetic. Um, but but they I exist. think it's very likely to to find a good company that's hiring for junior level SREs and with some good Python experience, some experience with uh, containerization and Docker, um, that might be a really a yeah. good place to sort of of get in and find some really you know train train by fire um to get yourself moving in the career and find yourself stepping up pretty quickly but then again as Jared mentioned earlier sometimes those junior level SRE positions are are difficult to find i know some of the folks i've talked to really really just want somebody that knows everything as a generalist and can be boots on the ground. And I think that particular boots on the ground, you're a generalist, you can solve any problem, is actually really hard to hire for. But Evan, I wanted to say something else. If you're looking at, if you're kind of browsing through job job postings for stuff, even when you post, even when they post for an entry level, they're going to have a wish list that is impossible to satisfy. They're going to have... You know, we want you to have five years of experience on these six different unrelated technologies and all this other crazy stuff, even for entry level. And it's because they're trying to cast a pretty wide net. Don't be discouraged by we need, you know, all of these different things. Find something that looks like, hey, I have a I've been interested in doing one or two of the five and hit it and see what happens. And and I think being honest in those in those cases, it will be really beneficial. Just, you know, speak towards 
while I don't have experience in there yet, I'm actively trying to learn this. I have uh, the desire to really learn this and will put in the time. And if you find the right position where they're really looking for a, a, a more junior employee and they see that drive, I think they're more willing to take a risk on you. When I interview someone, I specifically look for, can the interviewee say, no, I don't know the answer to that because I don't care if they knew the answer. I want to figure out how they come to the answer, how they figure out a problem. And that's one thing that I'm not, you know, I'm not concerned about that. Like I've, I've got pretty reasonably good problem solving skills and logic and troubleshooting. It, that stuff makes sense to me. I'm trainable. I've, I, and I'm not scared to tell people that, you know, no, I don't know how any of this works, but if you show me how I can do it. Awesome. If only I had a position available. <laughs> yeah, and the market's really weird right now. Um, there's both a huge push to hire lots and lots of remote people, but also because of COVID, HR departments are in a really weird place. So that can be challenging. Right, and I, you know, I don't think that that craziness is going to last. I think as we as we move through this pandemic and as things get more and more, you know, the new, either the new normal forms or we start to actually get a control of things and, you know, start coming out the other side eventually, which should eventually happen, right? Right? There's a lot that will never go back to the old normal after this pandemic. And, I think, and our jobs are part of that, but which I think is makes today, right now, a really interesting time to be on the market looking for new jobs because there's lots of really interesting growth and the... SREs and DevOps and sysadmins folk that, you know, put the bits together are in really high demand. And remote is here to stay. Thank you. So you've talked about, you know, getting a, trying to teach yourself stuff. Have you started learning any kind of programming skills at all? I mean, there's, unfortunately with DevOps, you need, fortunately or unfortunately, you definitely need the ability to at least understand code and at some level write some yourself, but understanding it enough to deal with the developers and the other part of the you know organization. Have you started learning any development skills? I'm just scratching the surface on programming. Uh, started the the I think the first like dozen chapters of Learn Python the Hard Way are free. And so I've been kind of working through those until I get to the point where I have to pay them. Very, 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 very basic level kind of stuff, like getting it to, to print out words that I tell it to and a couple of mathematical formula sort of stuff. Just at the very beginning of, of working on any of that, but it's it's in the dock. Yeah, once you get Python a little bit more under your fingers, be able to work a remote API of some type. Um, since yeah. that's basically what everything is now from uh, spinning up AWS resources to uh, how microservices communicate. And you don't need to be able to do something complex, um, but have some passing familiarity with uh, some Python code that can reach out on the internet and pull down some JSON and, and parse the JSON. And then do something with it. So one of the classic examples is like most of the weather services have an endpoint that you can say, hey, I'm looking for the weather data about where I am right now. And it'll respond with in a format in a in a standard format of 
oh, is it, here's your location, here's the weather, here's the forecast, is various fields. And so it might be a reasonable thing to say, to set yourself the challenge of write up a, a Python program that will just constantly print out every you know five minutes what the weather forecast is going to be. Uh, hook it into your bash shell. So every time you open a new terminal, it tells you what the weather is. There you go. Just these kinds of things in terms of being more comfortable interacting with the internet um, from, instead of using a web browser, doing it from Python would be a good, a good direction to go um, as, you, as you gain comfort, um, comfort and familiarity with a language. I think that, the, that doing that, writing Python scripts that reach out to, to various internet-based things is further through the course in Python the hard way. Awesome. But it shouldn't be so far... Like, it, it's not it's not doing anything crazy complex with Python. I mean, Python scales to, to levels of, like, writing massive multiplayer online role-playing games. You, you can do really big things with it. But relatively, as compared to that, simple would be things like reaching out to a, a web API and, and getting data back out. Right. So have we scared you off yet? No. No. Good. I'm, I'm still in. <laughs> Good. One of the hardest things about this from somebody from my position where I have a lot of experience is I don't I don't really know what I've learned that's useful versus what I've learned that I I don't need anymore. So it's hard to give advice sometimes. Yeah. At the last uh, position I interviewed, one of the guys said, your resume is impressive and I don't even understand some of it because you were doing it before I was born. So, and with the pace our industry changes. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff I've done that's utterly useless anymore. So it's very difficult for me to, to reach back and say, you know, this is what you need to get started. I don't know. Cause it's so different from me getting started, but I know what I look for. And that's mostly the problem solving. Can you think on your feet? Can you figure things out? And do you have enough basic knowledge to be able to do that? So Not Veritas like, volume manager. That's that's knowledge I hope I never do need it again. <laughs> Sorry, um, I had to. <laughs> but, you know, it's lay yourself a foundation and then be able to prove to people that you have that foundation and can solve things. It's, it's going to be nine-tenths of the, the battle right there. Yeah, and right now it's, it's just that fundamental skill building thing about being able to, to look at a system and make it do anything yeah, yeah and well, then given the, that none of us can make a linux system and you have workable audio i don't think you have to worry about making it do anything but oh, <laughs> linux audio is the worst so skipping that uh, but that that's the thing is you know and getting a getting it on your on a laptop that works with all the drivers and can talk and everything you know that used to be a nightmare and it's gotten a lot simpler but it's still a, really good to get it going and and try different distributions. That's one thing that some of them are so different. You will have to learn all the common denominators and how they're, but then also the different variations. Uh, you know, Ubuntu actually, is a huge chunk of the field, but it's not everything. Actually, Evan, I was curious. Um, have you run into the system D versus everything else flame war yet? No, I, I haven't. Um, you know, I'm I'm running Ubuntu 20.04, and uh, I mean, I'm not even I'm not far enough into to most of the stuff to even know that there are are differences to to things. Like I understand that different distributions do packets differently or something. You know, you have to learn 
slightly different commands and, and lingo, depending on what you're working in. But, uh, you know, right now I'm just, you know, like I'm halfway through kindergarten right now. At some point you're going to get to this, the system D stuff and there is a, like there's with everything that is opinionated, there's a lot of people who have very strong opinions both ways about system D. Um, it is a resource manager in in very lame, very simple layman's terms. It, it controls the boot process and it controls you know what services start and how they start, but it also controls everything else. It controls your audio system and it controls your logging system and it controls your display manager and it's metastasizing. To to go back to like learning resources or, or early beginnings, I I really learned a lot from going through what i i don't know if it's gotten fixed uh but there was a, a huge issue with it was following the gentoo uh install uh work through on the on their wiki um and just yeah. sitting down and installing gento gentoo from nothing and having to you know build everything and and it, it, i i really it really taught me fdisk in and out inside and out and understanding linux file systems which even now at this point have changed because back then uh lvms were kind of some of the newer stuff you really didn't do LVM partitions. Uh, you just did basic EXT two or threes, and uh, so that really taught me a lot about the wor- workings of a Linux system, especially bootstrapping and uh, building, compiling things from source and that kind of thing. Another I would second Gen two. Um, there are some other really raw build-it-yourself distros, but Gen two's got such a big install base in that area that you can find as long as you're not doing something crazy it will have been solved it just may take you a while to get there but you will find the help and and other stuff there are other distros um i tried void linux not too long ago and there were things i couldn't solve and i feel like i'm pretty experienced and i threw in the towel and just went back so i I, yeah gentoo would probably be a really good learning experience because it's it's tough but it's i think it's doable another good resource is the arch linux wiki pages they are extraordinarily well written for documentation and oh gosh i use those weekly almost yeah i I don't run arch i'm not running arch and they explain the why of a lot of these things as well as how to use it so they can be a great resource of going what was the philosophy behind this? Why did why did somebody decide to build this particular tool? Um, the Arch Linux pages are usually very helpful that way. And I will have links to all of this stuff in the show notes as best I can. So if you need to look it up to your listener, please do. Um, Evan, I really appreciate you coming on the show and tolerating all of our questions and our, our poking and prodding. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. We would like to thank 42 Lines for sponsoring this episode. 42 Lines is a DevOps consulting firm specializing in observability, cloud migrations, service reliability engineering, cost control, security practices, and team mentoring. Jumpstart your SRE journey today with the experts at 42lines.net. Please take the time to rate the show in Overcast, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast directory. It's the best way for new listeners to find us. Additionally, we welcome feedback about shows we've recorded or topics you'd like us to cover. Leave us a comment on the website at operations.fm or send your thoughts on email, feedback at operations.fm. And that wraps it up for this episode of the Practical Operations Podcast. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Ken Mink. I'm Jack Neely.
And I'm Jared Watkins. Thanks, and good night. I spend a lot of time with a Google page open because like every other paragraph I have to look up something and that turns into a whole sidebar because I have to figure out what, you know, like I, I don't understand the fundamental vocabulary of the things that are going on um, so that it it turns into a fairly slow progression. So, I you know, I don't even know what questions to ask. You know, try me in six months. Okay. Um, well, we would love to have you back on the show here and there as you, as you learn things or you have questions about, you know, once you stumble into system D and you have, sorry about that, formed your own opinions about that. And like learn that it's bad or good. I mean, (laughs) Hey, don't, don't taint his, his opinion on it just yet. (laughs) There are parts of it that are amazing and there are parts of it that are less amazing. I think when you get a gen two workstation up and running, you should go buy yourself a bottle of something nice and celebrate because that's an accomplishment. Okay. That's a good idea. My Gen 2 goes to a